0: Hello and welcome back to Rooted! This week we're digging into a Thanksgiving staple here in the United States, Cranberry. Cranberry, or Vaccinium maricopon, is a fruiting evergreen vine that can be found in acidic bogs across the Northern Hemisphere. It's known for its short stature, spindly, woody vines, and extremely distinct pink flowers with reflexed petals, meaning they're bent outward from the center, giving them almost crane-like head appearances, which is partially why colonizers called them cranberries. Now cranberries, especially the ones we typically think of, are exclusively cultivated and farmed in North America, with 97% of the world's supply actually coming from the United States, Canada, and Chile. They like moist, acidic soil and need cooler temperatures to thrive. They produce berries that start green, then turn white, followed by a dark red when fully ripened. The berries tend to be quite tart and are typically harvested after the first frost, which is thought to make them just a little sweeter. Most cranberries are harvested while they're still white to make juice, but the rest are typically harvested to be dried, with only 5% of cranberries being kept whole and sold directly to consumers. This is because traditional farming methods result in damage to the fruit, so all fruit being sold whole has to be hand-picked to avoid bruising. While most people assume that cranberries stay submerged in water, the reality is that most cranberries are grown in special beds built on a very shallow water table. This table is flooded to irrigate the berries during growing season, then again in the fall to harvest the berries, Which float to the top due to the air filled chambers inside the fruit that house their tiny seeds. Once at the surface, the berries are scooped up in big nets with a little help from bog workers. And while I always thought being a cranberry bog worker sounded super fun, it turns out that you have to be very okay with spiders. Wolf spiders, to be exact, because when they flood the bogs, the wolf spiders who were munching on mites and other nasties all season lose their homes and immediately look for something tall to climb and get out of the water. And most of the time, unfortunately, the tallest thing in the bog is a person. Scary stuff. And if you thought wolf spiders would be the scariest beasts we talk about today, I have some kinda bad news, as today's folklore has some pretty harrowing hairy beasts. According to the Lena Lenape people who lived in what is now Delaware through New Jersey, cranberries are a symbol of peace with a rather violent and complicated past. According to their legend, before there were humans, there were giant mastodons, huge, woolly mammoth-like creatures who considered themselves to be the king of beasts and really walked the earth like they owned the place, much to the chagrin of all other animals. Sick of them all not seeing their greatness, the Mastodons decided to band together to demand the respect they felt they deserved. After many dark days of exceptional violence, the Great Spirit knew they had to act. They shot down the Mastodons with lightning bolts and left massive, bloody craters in their path. Once the war was over, the Great Spirit filled these channels with evergreen vines to help the earth heal and these vines created blood-red berries as a reminder of the mastodons and to serve as a symbol of peace. This symbol of peace went on to become an important source of food and medicine for the Lena Lenape and other indigenous people, who ate them fresh and dried in dishes like socotash, which is a soup made from corn, beans, and dried cranberries that could pretty much be made year round if needed due to all the ingredients having a long storage life, and their ability to hold nutrients for long periods of time. Cranberries were also commonly eaten in a dish called pemmican, which is kind of like an early equivalent of a modern-day Cliff Bar. They were small cakes made of dried cranberries, venison, and fat drippings, which kept for a long time and provided a lot of nutrient-dense calories that could easily be taken from place to place which was super important given how frequently the Lena Lenape and other groups in this region moved. Now, I know what you're thinking. Those dishes are a pretty far cry from the can-shaped jelly that makes its way to a lot of our tables today. And you're totally right. As a nation, we really didn't even celebrate Thanksgiving until after the Civil War, when President Lincoln recognized the need to unify the nation and felt that a holiday celebrating the quote-unquote Roots of America would be the perfect way to do just that. So he crafted a narrative around two groups of people putting their differences aside to come together and celebrate the beautiful land they lived on, and the abundance we could all achieve when we worked together. So that's really where the sugar coating started, and then that same sweetness wormed its way into our diets, ultimately resulting in a lot of the super sweet yams, cranberries, and desserts on our table today. Jellied cranberry first started popping up at Thanksgiving feasts in 1796, once sugarcane had found its way into North America, and people had figured out that in order to get plants to grow in areas they aren't native to, you have to replicate the environments they're from. In a cookbook from that time, one recipe stood out as a favorite for the new-fangled Americanized feasts—cranberry sauce with onion. Which called for folks to boil cranberries in sugarcane until softened and then cook in some onions. From there, folks experimented with different kinds of fruits and ingredients until we got something that resembled the homemade cranberry sauce of today. Then, something happened that would revolutionize the world of commercialized cranberries forever. Ocean Spray, probably the best-known cranberry brand, developed and patented the water-based harvesting method we all know of today, which saved a bunch of man hours, but really damaged the fruit. So they decided to mass market a pre-made canned sauce to save folks some time and cover up for their unsightly cranberries. Now, if you tend to think of cranberries as more of a UTI miracle cure and less of a fancy feast food, You definitely aren't alone. Cranberries have long been touted as a powerful antimicrobial and wound healing plant, used as a poultice, and even as a cure for blood poisoning or to treat hepatitis when drunk as a tea or applied topically. Today, we know this is primarily because of its tannins, anthocyanins, proanthocyanins, antioxidants, and flavonoids, which help to promote heart health, fight infection, decrease inflammation, and keep free radicals in check. When it comes to treating UTIs, it's the proanthocyanidins that are really putting in the work. These specific tannins get to work in your urinary tract, preventing the E. coli from lanching onto your cells by basically turning the whole system into a slip and slide, helping you to pee out the bacteria before it gets a chance to really mess you up. And if you're wondering if I put that exact method of action description in my paper on these bad boys at Cornell, I sure did. If I'm one thing, it's both a menace and delight to higher education, okay? Whether you're lucky enough to haunt a bog, or just come across these guys in your holiday spreads, I hope you take a little time to be extra thankful for all the interesting and unique things these tart little fruits bring to the table. If you like the show, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rooted.Pod, we're on YouTube at Rooted.Podcast, and you can check out our website, RootedPod.com, for transcripts, updates, and so much more. Special thanks to Eric Kluxen for writing and performing our theme music, And of course, a special thank you to all of you for being here. Until next time, be kind to yourselves, be kind to the earth, and just like a plant, drink your water.